0: So, as I get older, and I, we're, we're looking at Joseph in chapter 42, and uh, Cord did an incredible job going through 41, dealing with uh, forgiveness. We're going to talk about that topic a little bit more today, but it's a progression. But as you get older, you look back, and I know you do this because we do it in different ways. Sometimes we look back at our, our house, and we're like, wow, that's the house I grew up in. You realize how small it was, or... Or you look back and you see, uh, you see a car that you used to drive. And you're like, man, I had one of those. And, uh, for me, it's sometimes little things. I, was, I saw somebody the other day playing darts. Now you may play darts all the time. I don't, but I remember getting a dartboard for Christmas one year. And when there's 12 feet of snow on the ground in Missouri and there's not much to do outside, uh, we would play darts for hours. And then in the, in the summer, this brought back another memory, in the summer, we would play jarts. How many of you risk your life playing jarts? Remember that? All right. Uh, that was like, you know, it was like uh, horseshoes, just between horseshoes and hand grenades. You know, it was right, uh, it was right there. And uh, then they come out now, how many of you have done this, the axe throwing? Oh, yeah. All right. Axe throwing leagues. I mean, people got their own personalized axes. It's like bowling. It's... It's crazy, but you don't make money unless you keep coming up with new ideas. So how many of you have done the new, the new one, blindfolded archery? Anybody? Nobody's done this yet? You don't know what you're missing. If the online numbers just went down, try to get them to come back, John. Try to get them to come back. All right. So in chapter 42, uh, there's a huge narrative. Chapter 42, 43, 44, 45. uh, There's a narrative, and I kept asking myself why. And I don't know whether I fully grasped this or not. um, Because in the story that we're going to look at today, Joseph could have handled the situation right in front of him his brothers are going to show up he's running egypt he's been he's out of jail they've been through the the seven good years now we're 2 years into the bad years and things are rough there's no food to eat not just in egypt but in the world so the whole world is coming joseph is hobnobbing I mean he's he is with the leaders of all the countries of the world and Pharaoh's just living large he's probably cruising the Nile he's out touring Rome who knows what he's doing but Joseph is running everything and he was not expecting for his brothers to show up and when his brothers do show up which of course fulfills the prophecy the dreams he's not ready for it and I think that's why this story is as complex as it is. Because I was listening to it again in my car, and I'm like, Joseph, why didn't you just deal with this? They come down to get grain, he sends them back home, they come back down. It's all these back and forth. I'm going to tell you why I think it happened. I think Joseph didn't know what to do. I think he wasn't sure what to do with his brothers. And so he's buying time. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we'll pick up the story in chapter 42, verse 6. Read quickly, so stay with me. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to the people. Again, he's running Egypt and turning it into this mega nation that it it will be for the next 4,000 years. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground, and a light bulb went off in Joseph's head. Again... 20 years have passed. He's not expecting this. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger because he's an Egyptian now. It's been 20 years since they cussed him out, threw him in a well, left him to die, uh, sold him into slavery. They lied about him, threw him in prison. 20 years have passed. Joseph's an Egyptian. He is fluent in Egyptian. He has had his head shaved. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's got the makeup of an Egyptian. He's got an Egyptian wife. He's got Egyptian children. Does he still know Hebrew? Yes. But he didn't look like a Hebrew. So he's just listening. He spoke harshly to them. He said, where did you come from? From the land of Canaan, they said, through a translator, (coughs) to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brother's. They did not recognize him. Then he remembered the dreams about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, watch how quick these guys spill the beans. Your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. Your servants are 12 brothers, just pouring it out, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest one is now with our father, and one of our brothers is no more. Oh. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here, Benjamin, that's his biological brother, Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives. Now this is an interesting phrase because he invokes an Egyptian pledge here. Again, solidifying who he is. You are spies. He does it again. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, now, this is not mentioned anywhere else in the story, only Here, do we learn how they treated Joseph in that moment when they sold him into slavery. Surely, we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and he spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left." At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get his feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brother. It's in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? All right. You can be seated. Now the narrative goes on. But again... I really think Joseph didn't know what to do. It's been 20 years. He has no doubt planned revenge many times. You can think holy thoughts about Joseph all you want and maybe he was, but I don't think so. I think he's mad, he's angry, he's waiting for that moment for revenge and all of a sudden it's right in front of him. And you need to understand the power of an Egyptian in this role. He wouldn't have had to speak a word. All he'd have to do is look at a guy, and his ten brothers would have been killed. No questions asked. They'd have been dead. End of the story. He could have sent up, got Jacob, got Benjamin, had them brought down. That would have been the end of the story. Joseph doesn't know what to do. But what's the danger in this story is the danger of lying. These brothers have been lying for so long, 20 years. They've, been, they've let their father suffer for 20 years. They have kept their little lie in a tight little pack. And they've told the same story for so long, they believe it. And they say to Joseph, that other brother, he is no more. It's crazy. Now I know, this is going to just be, I'm just going to be honest, okay? I'm just going to assume because I know human nature pretty well. Everybody in this room is a liar. All right, this makes it easy because I don't have to pick on anybody. Everybody here is hiding something for self-preservation. The problem is when you lie, you become a liar. And when you become a liar, you begin to convince yourself that your lies are true. And pretty soon you don't even know what the truth is. Joseph must have been stunned when they said, and our other brother is no more. Now, I know they have no way of knowing whether he's alive or dead, but they have lied so long and watched they, their dad has suffered and they're okay with that. They thought our lie will never be found out. Here's the deal, guys. Whether it's here or in the next life, it will be found out. So what do we do? All right, here's the problem. When you tell the truth, it's probably going to cause some hurt. So we got to buckle in when you come clean and say listen i got an alcohol problem i got a drug problem i've got a sex problem i've got a uh, i've got a greed problem i've got a gambling problem i what whatever whatever your issue is probably somebody else has already been hurt in this story and there's going to be counseling and stuff that's going to have to be worked out but if you continue to live in that lie you're going to live with an oppression for the rest of your life. David talks about it in Psalm 32 and in Psalm 51. He said, when I lied and covered up my sin. He said, it was like my bones rotted inside of me. My heart was crushed. But the problem is for us. It's not just physical. It's also spiritual. That you get that crushing So I don't know what you need to come clean or how you need to come clean. I got my own issues to deal with. Some of it we inherited. Some of it we've done on our own. Some of it's out of self-preservation. But Solomon said in Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 17, there are seven things that God hates. The second thing on the list, lying lips. So God hates that. God just wants us to be honest and to tell the truth to one another. What would happen if you told the truth in your marriage to your boss, to your children? It might hurt a little bit, but in most cases, I think people probably know the story anyway. Here, Joseph standing there going, so I'm dead, huh? He already knows the story. But the danger of living in a society where lying is commonplace is a very dangerous place to be. When a man or woman's word doesn't mean anything, when you can't trust each other, it's a very bad place to be. Now, I'm not saying Tom Brady's lying. I'm just going to tell you this story, okay? But this is a quote from Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to be working as an NFL commentator. All right. Now, he says, he says, this is really out of my comfort zone. He said, and they're paying him, are you ready for this, $375 million dollars to talk about football and he says this is really gonna put me out of my comfort. how many would you of you would be willing to be pushed out of your comfort zone right now to talk football I don't care if you hate football would you do it for 375 million I mean you feel bad for Tom you know you feel bad you know here I thought you know I thought the Georges were heroes being out of their comfort zone. But I mean, what Tom's doing is, you know, such a sacrifice to. Listen, here's the problem with lying. You may get away with it sometimes, but you'd be amazed how many times people know it. And they're just like, all right, just let him go. But what would happen if we would just start telling the truth? And then joseph's got a forgiveness problem why do i think he's got a forgiveness problem because he had two choices when they were before him he could have immediately said it's joseph now he's going to do that two chapters from now and a trip or two back to israel he's going to do that but not today not today in fact he calls them spies he tells them they're liars and he puts them in jail for three days I wonder if he put them in the same cell that he spent several years in. Maybe he just wants them to feel a little bit of what he felt. Maybe he wants to kill them. Maybe he's just trying to keep himself under control for a little bit. He does something, however, that's a good lesson for all of us. Sometimes you just got to step back from a situation. Sometimes you gotta say, you know what, I'm not gonna react right now because if I react right now, there's, somebody's gonna get hurt. Hopefully you're not thinking about killing somebody, but somebody's emotions get hurt, somebody's life gets destroyed, somebody's heart gets broken, where if we would just step back and give it time. In Joseph's case, he just puts him in prison. Then he comes up with a plan to send them back home with the silver so he's, he knows he's got them in a bad place and they're going to have to bring Benjamin back. That's what he wants. He wants to see his brother and he wants to see if they've changed. He wants to see if they're still the liars they've always been. But the point is, after 20 years, Joseph's still not ready to forgive them. How do I know that? Because he put him in prison for three days because he didn't tell him who he was, because he didn't deal with it there. A couple chapters from now, he will say, hey guys, forget about it. <clears throat> he says this, he said, you thought you sold me down here, but it was actually God's plan for me to save a whole lot of people. So you might've done it for the wrong reason, but God was doing it for the right reason. It's a crazy how this story works out. But Joseph doesn't get there overnight. Now, I'm going to help you with this, okay? Because you're like, there's people in my life that I just can't forgive. Listen, I got it. I'm there. You may not believe this, but there's people that don't like me. And there are people that I don't like. I'll just tell you. But that doesn't mean I have the right to not forgive them. I had two situations this week. And... uh I didn't want to, I did not want to deal with either situation, but I just, this is what I did. I sent a note. One of them was a call. One of them was a, a, was a note. And I just said, listen, I'm not mad. I said, it's okay. I'm not inviting them to Christmas dinner. Neither one of those people will be at my Christmas dinner table. I will guarantee you that. But it does no good for me to be angry. It does no good for me to not forgive them. Because then they're out living life and I'm, I'm got myself locked in a box because I won't forgive them. And some of you, the people that have hurt you, that you won't forgive, they're already dead. And you're still in prison because of your unforgiveness. Jesus said this in Mark. Jesus said, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, Forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. See, this is why we do communion every service. You can do without me in spades. You can do without our worship team, without our lights, the cafe. You can do without all this. The reason to come together, all right, and this is why in person. Well, you, say, you always tell us we can do communion at home. Yes, you can. But that's for when you can't be in the corporate setting. Because communion is about me and God, and it's also about me and you. And he says, before I even take communion, before I come to the place of prayer, I've got to make things right with you before I can make things right with God. Joseph's not there yet. He's still in process. He's still working on getting there. Now, again, please hear what I'm saying. It is okay that you're not best friends with some of those people, right? Your ex, your ex-in-laws, this story, that story, whatever it might be, you can say, well, you say, well, how do I do that? I'll help you like this. I'm just going to make up an imaginary person. Lord Jesus, I forgive Bart. Okay, done. You're like, whoa, but... Bart never said he was sorry. Bart didn't, doesn't matter. I just let Bart go. He's not coming to Christmas, but I let him go. That's what Christians do. That's what the Bible very clearly tells us we have to do. And Joseph's story shows us how hard it is to actually do it. Especially when you're in control of whether you forgive or not. He could have said, go home, no more grain. He could have killed them. He could have left them in prison. He could have done a whole lot of things. But he buys himself some time until he can finally get to the place where he can forgive. Max Lucado says it this way, talking about the prodigal son in Luke 15. If you don't know the story, two sons, the younger son has no inheritance but he goes to his dad anyway and asks for inheritance. Dad gives it. He goes out and blows it all on wine and women and ends up uh, with pigs, eating with pigs. And he goes, I might as well go home and be a servant for my dad. At least I'll have something to eat. And he goes home and he finds dad waiting with open arms. It's a picture of God and us. And uh, the older brother gets very angry. He says, you know, your brother was lost and now he's found. He said, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a barbecue. This is going to be the greatest day ever. And the older brother's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't steal the inheritance. I've been here serving. What's the deal? He said, dude, your brother was lost and now he's found. Forgive, forgive. But here's how Lucado says it. He says, the difference between mercy and grace, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. Guys, that's what Jesus does for all of us. If you've not accepted Jesus yet, if you've not repented, if you've not been baptized, before you leave here, stop in room three. Uh, it's our guidance point. People are there to pray with you, to answer questions. Um, but the whole point of Jesus coming was to give us what we don't deserve. See, if Jesus would have said, if he'd come and talk to me and said, Joe, listen, I'll make you a deal. I know your life real well. When you die, I'll just annihilate you. Okay. I'll not send you to hell. I'll just eliminate you from the universe. Man, I'd take that deal all day long because I know how terrible I am and I know how real hell is. But Jesus said, no, I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you with me. That's what heaven is about. That's, Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. That's the beauty of heaven. But then the last part that Joseph is wrestling with is the restoration part. How do I put these pieces back together again? Or do I? But his issue is really not with his brothers. His issue is with God. Because Joseph, I've told you before, I think these 20 years were to knock the rough edges off of Joseph. And Joseph has got to figure out now, how am I going to be right with God now that my brother showed up? Because he's living large. He's hobnobbing. He's eating dinner in the palace. He's living with his wife and his kids. And things have never been better for Joseph, ever. And these dang brothers show up and throw a monkey wrench in everything. And now, God, how do I stay right with you now that they're back in my life? And once he figures out that restoration process, then he's able to work on a plan to restore the relationship with his brothers. Now, listen, I said it before. Some relationships are not meant to be restored. Some are just meant to be forgiven. You're not coming to Christmas. All right. Love you, but you're not coming to Christmas. But other relationships really need to be restored. And I'm just going to talk to you as bluntly as I know how. In 42 years of doing this, I have been in hundreds of marriage counseling situations. I think two of them, I advised divorce. And it was, there were grounds for divorce, but There was violence, there was danger, there was a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on. All the other times I've been involved, if the couple would have just given God a little more time, God could have done the impossible. I've watched him do it. I've worked with dozens of stories. I watch our staff work with dozens of stories that I go, I'm praying for you, but I'm thinking there ain't no chance this is going to work. And I have watched God do the impossible time and time again when people decide to tell the truth, when people decide to forgive one another, and people decide that I really do want to fix something. I want to be right with God, and I want to be right with my spouse. I'll finish with two stories. Mark chapter 5, Jesus is on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a demon-possessed man there. Full of hundreds of demons. And I mean, he's tearing up everything, screams, yells, lives in the cemetery, breaks copper chains. They can't contain this guy. Jesus shows up, casts the demons out of him. The guy ends up being an evangelist. We don't have time for that right now. But the demons come out of the man and they beg Jesus to send them somewhere. Does anybody remember that story? Send send us into the pigs. Now, there's a whole theology we could go through here, but we're not going to. The demons, pay attention. The demons know how horrible hell is. And they would rather be in pigs than to be in hell. Now, here's the problem. Demons are believers. They're not followers of Jesus. So when I talk to people and they say, oh, I'm a believer... Okay, that that you're on the same level with demons. You're doing great. But you're not saved. You're not a follower of Jesus. That's a whole different level. But I think it's interesting to note that the demons were so afraid of hell that they begged to miss it. That ought to tell you something. But I'll finish with this because I have the privilege of leading you into communion. So they in in the NFL there's a hazing that goes on for the new rookies. Now, don't feel bad for them because they've just signed a some incredible contract and they got a ten million dollar signing bonus, probably just like what you got when you went to work at your job. And uh, but it's customary that they will pick a, one of the most expensive restaurants in the city, wherever the team plays, and they go there and they will rack up a monster bill eating them the best of everything, drinking the best of everything, and then they present the bill to the rookie. Here's one, here's one, just recently. Uh, The tab for that night was $15,124.49. Now granted, you just signed a big bonus, but I don't care who you are, that's probably the biggest dinner tab any of you've ever seen, yes? All right. But some of you might be saying, well, if I had to, I guess I could figure out how to pay that. All right, well, let's add some numbers. Make it 150000 How about a million? $10 million? Eventually, I'll put it in a range where you can't pay the bill. I'm guessing I got most of you with the first one. This is what we're presented when you step into eternity. You are presented with a bill like this because of your sin. And you say, I, I, I can't pay that. You're like, no, you can't. But Jesus already paid it. That's why you and I accept Jesus. That's why we follow him. That's why we forgive other people so we can be forgiven. Because every one of us has got a a tab like this. And we can't make the payment. So, Father, as we go into communion, we're going to take that piece of bread and that little cup of juice that represents your body and your blood. But before we go any further, we're going to let some people go. We're going to forgive brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, moms, dads, grandpas, bosses, ex-spouses, current spouses. We've got some business to do. Lord, we're going to work on just being truthful. Telling, being honest with you. Being honest with other people. And we're going to become people who are restorers so lord we lord we confess that that bill is beyond our ability and we ask that you would indeed pay that bill for us through your blood in jesus name amen